This evening's reading is from John chapter 21 and verses 1 to 17 and it's on page 1090 of the Bibles. So John chapter 21 and starting at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your people. And we pray now that as we hear your voice, you might encourage our hearts. And uh, would you um, encourage us and challenge us as well as we head out into the week. Amen. Amen. I want you to imagine that uh, tomorrow morning 
you rock up at school or you rock up at work and uh, your boss or teacher says, you know what, I know you've been working really hard. I want you to have a day off. I've arranged a special outing for you. You're going to spend a day fishing. I wonder what you'd say. Fishing, of all things. Now, there might be probably about two of you who could think of nothing better than a day spent fishing, huddled under an umbrella by a pond or a lake, just relaxing. But I suspect many of you just think, what an awful way to spend a day. Incredibly dull, very, very boring. The thing about fishing, and the frustrating thing about fishing, is not catching anything. It's hugely frustrating. I, um, I went fly fishing once. Uh, I loved the first 30 minutes, and then I was bored. Completely bored. And um, then finally, I caught a trout. Uh, I named him Timmy. A little bit self-indulgent, but, you know, there he was, little Timmy. Finally caught him, um, and that was great. Adrenaline buzz. And then I was bored again. And eventually I persuaded my friend that we should go home and cook Timmy and eat him, which we did. Uh, But if you go fishing and you don't catch anything, hugely frustrating. Now that's just a hobby. Imagine how much more frustrating it would be if, if fishing was your livelihood. If fishing was the means by which you fed yourself. For the disciples, you could perhaps say this, you could say that fishing was a means of life. A means of life. Uh, Our scene this evening finds seven of the disciples gathered in Galilee. And just look at verse uh, 3. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And the fishers like the others uh, say, oh, we'll come too, we want to go. And so they all jump in the boat and set out to fish. Now, if you were here last week, you might be thinking, this feels like a huge anticlimax. Because last week, and in the passage just before this, Jesus appears to his disciples in a locked room. It's miraculous. And he proclaims peace to them. And he commissions them, he sends them out with authority into the world to forgive sins and promises them the Holy Spirit. And so you're expecting these guys to head out into the world full of passion and boldness and verve and instead we find them in Galilee and Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And you think, oh, oh, okay then. What's going on? despite Jesus' previous miraculous appearance, have the disciples thought, no, I'm I'm not in this, and and walked away? It's probably fair to say that they're still somewhat confused, uh, but I don't think they've walked away. Mark and Matthew, in their Gospels, uh, record Jesus saying something to his disciples earlier on, and he says this, but after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Perhaps that's why the disciples were in Galilee. They they were being obedient to Jesus' commands. They were gone there to wait for him, to meet him. But, But why fishing? Well, as one commentator I read this week said, even though Jesus be crucified and risen from the dead, the disciples must still eat. 
No, they've gone fishing because they need to eat. What becomes really clear in this big anticlimax is this, that the spirit-empowered mission that Jesus has just commissioned his disciples to go on is not starting yet. It will start when they finally receive the spirits at Pentecost. So we see them here, the seven of them, in their boat, heading out to fish. And they catch nothing. Now I know that fishermen have good days and they have bad days. These guys are pros, but to catch nothing is it's ridiculous. They're not fishing with rods, they're fishing with nets. They catch nothing. Fishing in these times was done at night. And so you can imagine as dawn begins to break, how these seven disciples might be feeling tired, frustrated, fed up, hungry maybe. And then a man on the shore shouts out to them, friends! Actually, the original word here, I think, is a bit more informal than that. Uh, Some commentators translate it lads. This chap on the floor says, lads! Lads, the man shouts. shouts. Have you, you any fish? No. They answered somewhat grumpily. I tell you what, why don't you try throwing your net on the right-hand side of the boat? And then you'll find some. The last thing the disciples need was some smart aleck on the shore telling them, professional fishermen, where they might fish, find fish when they've been at it all night. But for whatever reason, on this occasion, the disciples listened to this guy but perhaps he sounded like he knew what he was talking about. Perhaps they just wanted to say, show him how ridiculous a suggestion it was to put the net on the other side of the boat. And yet when they did, something amazing happened. They were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And the disciple that Jesus loved, who we think was probably John, where he just twigs and he says, it is the Lord's. Previously to this, they'd heard the man's voice, but they were a hundred yards out to sea from shore. They probably couldn't get a clear picture of his face, as they hadn't recognised who it was who was shouting at them. And as soon as Simon Peter heard John say, it is the Lord's, he was up and out of that boat, quick and you can say, man overboard. Don't you just love Peter? He's just so impulsive and impetuous. He's out. And he wraps his outer garment around him and jumps into the water. That sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? I don't know about how you guys uh, treat the sea. I tend to take clothes off before getting in the sea. Peter puts his outer garment on. Perhaps as um, he realised it is the Lord on the on the shore. He didn't feel comfortable approaching Jesus in the first century equivalent of speedos. And rightly so. I think having a conversation with anyone in a pair of speedos should be illegal. But that's an aside. Back to Peter. Peter is now off the boat and he's swimming or wading or running towards Jesus. And this doesn't look or feel like a man who's walked away from Jesus' commission, does it? It sounds like a man who's desperate to see his Lord. 
the other less impulsive disciples follow on in the boat behind. And, and when they get to shore, Jesus is waiting for them, cooking fish on a charcoal fire. And they drag this net ashore, 153 fish. The disciples, though, don't seem quite at ease. Just look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. If they knew it was the Lord, what what questions do they want to ask? It, It feels to me like they're sort of, they're itching to ask Jesus, is it really you? but they don't dare ask it because they know it is, but they're just struggling to comprehend. Is it really you? And then Jesus gathers them together and he gives them bread and fish. What's going on? Why does Jesus do this? Well, I wonder if the clue is in verse 1 and verse 14. Because there's a common theme in both those verses. Both those verses talk about Jesus appearing. Or in more literal Bible translations, revealing. This moment that that John has recorded for us is a moment of revelation. And it's this, Jesus' revelation, he is the Lord's. John says it, Peter acts on it, all the disciples know it, Jesus is the Lord, here is God the Son, God in human form, God's promised King. For how else would he know that the simple instruction to catch fish on the right hand side of the the boat would be so abundantly fruitful? It's because he is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And in revealing himself to the disciples for the third time, he seeks to really and truly reassure them of his identity. As one commentator says, the mundaneness of the simple breakfast is dwarfed by the presence of the risen Lord and the implications of his resurrection for the life of his followers. These real events recorded by eyewitnesses reveal and confirm to us that Jesus really did rise from the dead. But these events also have, as that quote says, implications of the resurrection life that he offers. For in these verses we read of Jesus' invitation. And it's this, Jesus' invitation is come and eat. I wonder what your best ever meal was. The nicest meal, the most satisfying meal. Perhaps it was a day when you were so hungry, you'd been out all day and you came back and you just had this most glorious, tasty, wholesome food. Perhaps it's because I'm a boy, but I think 75% of my mood depends on the fullness of my stomach. I don't think, for me, there's many better feelings than that feeling of being full, of satisfied, of being well fed with great food. Food nourishes us, doesn't it? It sustains us. It energises us. Without food, we die. And here we see the one through whom creation was made cooking food. 
for his followers. What kind of God cooks breakfast for people? The God of the Bible. The God that Jesus reveals. Because what Jesus is doing here isn't a chance thing. Jesus is revealing something about his lordship. He's revealing what he will do for his followers. What it looks like to share in his resurrection life. And it's this. God's children are nourished through the food Jesus provides. God's children are nourished through the food that Jesus provides. Jesus doesn't offer life, offer people life and then call them to follow him and then abandon us. No, Jesus says, to my people, to my children, I'll commit to nourishing you, sustaining you, energising you, feeding you. The life that Jesus offers is, this life, the idea of life is such a big theme all the way through uh, John's Gospel. And this life is only found in receiving the food of Jesus. Which is why I think uh, Jesus goes on to give Peter this command. Jesus' command is this, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see that at the end of verse 17. Uh, Jesus has sent out the disciples on mission, but part of their mission to the world is pastoral. Now the word pastoral is of course related to pasture. It's about caring for those who will graze in pasture. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling Peter and the other disciples to the work of looking after the sheep. They are to care for the sheep. Now note in verse 17, the sheep belong to Jesus. Jesus says, feed my sheep. The disciples are to be under shepherds, looking after God's sheep. And earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus hinted as as to how they're doing that. Just flick back with me to John 16. It's page 1084. Uh, Verse 12 of chapter 16. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And what's Jesus in this passage saying? He's saying, look, when I've gone, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reveal truth to you. The Spirit is going to nourish and feed you and reveal truth towards you, to you. And I'm going to send you out with that nourishment to feed my sheep. To pass on the truth of God as he reveals himself in Christ. And that's what we have here. Jesus invites the disciples here to come and eat, to come and feed on him as he reveals himself through his word. And so today, for us, Jesus invites us to come and eat, to feed on Christ as we receive 
his words made known to us through the apostles, the disciples, as they wrote it down for us. Elsewhere in the New Testament, you can look it up in 1 Peter 5 or Acts 20, verse 28, Paul and Peter pick up on this shepherding language, feeding my sheep, to talk about the role of church leaders. That is what they're to do. They are to shepherd God's flock, to care for them, to nourish, to feed them. The, um, the wife of a, a church leader, a friend of mine, um, would often encourage her husband when he came home on a Sunday evening and he'd been uh, teaching and preaching and uh, ministering to God's people all day. And as he slumped down in his chair at the end of the day, feeling tired and weary, his wife would say to him, remember, darling, the flock are fed. The flock are fed. Because that's what he'd been doing all day. Feeding the flock. The, um, the same friend of mine once um, uh, spoke on World Live Main Stage, a big, big Christian conference, and... Um, uh, I spoke to him after and said, oh, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Really helpful. He said, yeah, it was sort of a lasagna, wasn't it? A what? A lasagna. It, was, you know, it wasn't anything special, but it's what you need. Just sort of hearty to keep you going. And that's always stuck with me. Because he'd been preaching God's words. He'd fed us a lasagna. Our aim here uh, at St Mary's is, on the Sundays and during the week, is to feed and nourish God's people with God's Word. That's what we're about. That's why the Bible, God's Word, is central to everything that we do here. And that's why, as God's people, we should commit to coming to church regularly. Because there is no life without foods. There is no life without God's nourishment, his sustaining and energising word. I don't know uh, where you look for nourishment. But it might just be that you're looking in the wrong place. When life leaves you hungry and dissatisfied, what do you turn to? What's your comfort food of choice? Chocolate? Ice cream, curry, alcohol, friends, routine, exercise, something you know you shouldn't see. You know, lots of these things are brilliant things. I love curry, I love ice cream. But if our hope is in those things to feed and nourish us, to comfort us, then we're going to be left feeling hungry and empty. For it is only in Christ and in his words that we can receive the life-giving nourishment that we need. Jesus says, come and eat. The daily quiet time for uh, a Christian isn't, isn't a requirement. Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? It's not. You don't have to have a daily quiet time to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian, why would you go a day without God's nourishment? I mean, we would never choose to go, well, maybe some would, choose to go a day without food. Why would we choose to go a day without God's words, his nourishment to us? Now, it's important to remember in this passage that whilst Jesus' commands to feed my sheep is primarily to Peter and the other disciples, 
And then it's applied elsewhere in the New Testament to elders and pastors and those set aside for Bible ministry, if you like. This command is actually relevant for all God's people. For as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility to feed each other. We're to do loads of stuff, aren't we? We're to love, to care, to serve, to help, to sacrifice in many, many ways and important ways. But let's not forget to point each other to the source of nourishment and life. Whether you're a home group leader or a kids or youth group leader or whether you're just a friend, let's ensure that where we can and where appropriate we encourage each other to feed on God's word. The thing is, you might respond, you know, great, I get this, and I understand my responsibility as being part of church family, but how can I help to feed others when I can barely feed myself? How can I feed others when I struggle to live out what I know in God's word? How can I gently point others to God's nourishing word when I'm such a hypocrite? I often feel like that when I stand up here and speak. Well, we must remember this. Jesus' grace. Service through forgiveness. You see, if, you read, if you've read John's Gospel and you have a good memory, when you see Jesus cooking breakfast for the disciples on a charcoal fire, your memory will be pricked. And you think, hang on a minute. There's something familiar about this. We've seen a fire before. And we have. And the last time that we read one of the disciples being stood around the fire, it was Peter. And as he's stood around this fire just after Jesus has been arrested, three people come up and ask him, You're not one of his disciples, are you? Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Three times Peter denies knowing Jesus. Before the crow, before the um, cock crows, just as Jesus had said he would. I wonder, just pause for a minute and try and put yourself in Peter's shoes at that moment. When Jesus had said to Peter, Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Peter had replied emphatically with his normal force, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. You can imagine the force and conviction with which he said those words. And then stood by the fire, he realised he's gone and done exactly what Jesus said he would do. You've got to feel for him. This guy wore his heart on his sleeve and no doubt that moment would have been agony for him. As he watched Jesus die, not only would he be full of grief and disappointment, but guilt. Guilt that he disowned his beloved leader and Lord. And so again, around the fire, Peter, uh, Jesus gathers disciples together and he says this to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked him, and three times Peter says, Lord, of course I love you, with increasing passion. Of course Jesus did know all things, as Peter said. This conversation wasn't for Jesus' benefit, it was for Peter's. And Jesus is graciously and publicly welcoming Peter back. Reinstating Peter into his mission to the world. Serving Christ in any capacity, capacity is always the, res, the consequence of forgiveness through grace. You see, if you wonder how you can help to feed others when you can barely feed yourself, if you wonder how you can help to feed others when you struggle, out, struggle to live out what you know in God's Word, if you wonder how you can gently point people to God's Word when you're such a hypocrite yourself, then you're in really good company. Because Peter was just like that. Serving others begins with recognising our weakness and sin, recognising our personal nourishments from God's words, and then receiving God's grace and forgiveness. Can you imagine what that would have felt like for Peter? Our service of Christ through mission evangelism or pastoral care, by those who are paid or just by every member of the church family pointing each other back to God's words, is, as one person said, just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Peter's experience meant that he knew that more than anyone. And Peter's reinstatement Peter's grace and forgiveness was because of Jesus' work for him on the cross. We're going to sing this in a minute. Sent of heaven, God's own son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to the tree. That was Peter. The one who disowned his saviour, that's us. And then we're going to sing this. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the Son sets free, now is free indeed. That was Peter's experience, and that is our experience too. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Reminder of the invitation this evening to come and eat. And we thank you that as we hear that invitation, we hear it alongside seeing that you are the one who provides nourishment for your people. And Father, we pray that as we hear your commands to feed my lambs, and we work that out today. We thank you for your grace and forgiveness that enables weak, failing people like us to be used by you. Father, we thank you for Peter. We thank you that 
He reminds us of ourselves and we see him used by you. Please encourage us this evening with these truths, we pray. Amen.